This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9. Good morning. It's 7.06 a.m. on Monday, the 20th of November. You're listening to The Morning Run. I'm Shazana Mokhtar with Wong Xiaoning and Keith Kam. Now, in half an hour, we're going to be discussing clashes between the anti-coup forces and the Myanmar military that have gone somewhat under the radar given all the other conflicts and wars happening around the world. But as always, we're going to kickstart the morning and the week with a recap of how global markets closed on Friday. It was was a third straight positive week for Wall Street. The Dow closed flat, marginally up 0.01%, but still green. The Nasdaq and the S&P 500 were both up 0.1%. Earlier on Friday, Asian markets were mixed. Nikkei was up 0.5%. Hong Kong's Hang Seng was down 2.1%. Shanghai's Composite was up 0.1%. Singapore's STI was down 0.3%. Back home, the FBM KLCI closed 0.3% higher. For some thoughts on where international markets could be heading this week, we have on the line with us Kingsley Jones, Chief Investment Officer at Jevons Global. Kingsley, good morning. Thanks as always for joining us. So with global inflation easing off, risk on sentiment seems set to return to stock markets. What kind of companies as well as trading strategies would you recommend in this kind of environment? Well, with those risk-free returns on the short-dated Treasury bonds in the US at 5%, it's, uh, it's not necessarily a time to play high-risk equity, uh, but uh, if you have a strong conviction on a turnaround play, this could be a good time to do so. So to illustrate that point, uh, at this time, uh, you know, if you've got a good balance sheet and some decent cash flow, enough to pay a, a dividend yield uh, that compares favourably with that 5%, then, uh, you know, this is a good period to look at those. One example of that would be um, the deep oil play Petrobras in Brazil. Uh, Brazil had uh, high interest rates early. Uh, They're now moderating. Typically what happens with emerging markets is they tend to perform uh, when uh, the US dollar is weakening, so post a period of strength. Uh, Right now it's not the ideal time, uh, but we think it's coming. You need low valuations, falling emerging market interest rates, the prospect of a a bull steepening in the US uh, Treasury curve. That means uh, long-term interest rates higher than short-term interest rates. We're not there yet. Uh, but we think that's likely in the first half of next year. Uh, the result of that would be falling short-term U.S. interest rates as inflation in the U.S. is beaten, uh, and you start to see better conditions elsewhere in the world, particularly in emerging markets. And, of course, China, if it starts to improve, uh, will really put a fire under that. Uh, Kingsley, the S&P 500 Energy Index has been the worst sectoral performer this year. Have valuations fallen enough to consider picking up some companies in this sector? And if so, which ones? Yeah, we certainly think so. Although, uh, you know, obviously, you know, fossil fuels is uh, are on the way out. The issue, though, is that um, the decline rate for an oil well is around 6 to 7% uh, at, in aggregate, if you look across the whole world. So all that means is you've, you've got to, fi- to stay still, you've got to find 6% of your current production every year. Uh, and, and this is why we think that uh, there will be support to the oil price at around this level. But I'd comment that uh, as far as investment strategy is concerned, it's probably better to focus on gas-rich companies, so natural gas, mm. uh, simply because that's got a lower carbon intensity. 
and is used a lot in uh, power generation across Asia. Uh, so companies like Woodside Energy in Australia we like. But we'd also mention some of the companies that traditionally did engineering work for oil services, like Worley Parsons or Worley in Australia and Schlumberger in the United States. They're now doing a lot of work for uh, renewable energy because it involves similar disciplines, especially for offshore uh, wind power. So we like that area. We think that maybe investors have yet to appreciate uh, that there's a strong growth dynamic there. Kingsley, you mentioned China in our first question, if it recovers. What are your expectations with regards to that? And is it really too early to dip our toe into Chinese equities? Well, they're great questions. And of course, you know, it's a matter of a lot of debate. Uh, you know, we have to remember that all of these discussions happen against a, a period of US-China tensions. So, you know, there are many strong views out there, let's put it that way. Um, in our view, you know, some of the comments about China in terms of its population, ageing and the like, um, you know, people have been saying, oh, maybe it's going to turn into a new Japan. Um, what I would argue is it already has in a particular way that is part of the solution to their problem. Um, China started about 10 years ago uh, to address their anticipated labour shortage uh, by putting a lot of robots in factories. And, and this is particularly prevalent in some of the high growth areas uh, that address climate change, like uh, solar cell manufacture. You know, if you look at the robot floor, if you look at the factory floor for a lot of those leading Chinese players, it's largely automated. So we, we think that, in fact, China probably will head that one off at the pass. They still have the problem of needing to expand their services economy and also their consumption economy. And you have seen that with high youth unemployment. Uh, as we know, because the Chinese stopped uh, recording it when it hit about 21%. They're the things to watch out for, but um, we're reasonably positive or constructive on what China will be able to do to uh, circumvent these problems. Uh, it's an adaptable economy. I, I don't think it can be reduced uh, to simple slogans. Uh, and therefore, we're definitely looking at buying some of the Chinese techs, uh, yeah, Baidu, um, Alibaba, uh, JD.com. They all look pretty cheap. And can we quickly look at uh, what's happening happening in the banking sector in Australia? We see Aussie banks like NAB and Commonwealth Bank. They've largely outperformed, but there's a feeling that they've also hit peak earnings and shareholder returns. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, look, I think a, a lot of that is true. But, you know, when you look at the Australian economy, it's struggling in parts. Uh, the resources sector is pretty soft uh, until we see China really recover in earnest. So those yields in the banks uh, are looking fairly defensive at this point in time, notwithstanding, uh, you know, higher interest rates in Australia. So what we would argue is that these are really the times for sponging off the soup stains on the, on the least dirty shirt, uh, if we can put it that way. Uh, and in the Australian banking sector, uh, for us, that's uh, the NAB, National Australia Bank. Uh, we like their business mix because they're not only in mortgages, they have a significant business um, banking arm. Margins are under pressure. All the recent results show that. Uh, and obviously, you know, many people favour CBA as the stronger franchise, but uh, we think that uh, the relative valuation uh, of CBA now really augurs in favour of, of, of taking cheaper exposure uh, with a good prospective yield and sticking to that. On the flip side, you know, if you look out across, there's not too many, remember, there's only really four big ones. Um, if we look at A and Z, uh, you know, they've had reasonable performance in growing their business offshore, but they have had to sacrifice margin. And I think the main factor there, although we do own it, is that uh, they're seeing a reduced so-called franking credit. So if you earn your profits offshore, 
you don't get a tax credit when you pay a dividend to investors. And Australians, particularly those who are approaching retirement, really like those uh, so-called franking credits because they get refunded in full. And for those reasons, we think front and centre, we like NAB. Arc Innovations, Cathy Wood thinks Tesla is the real AI play, AI play rather than N- NVIDIA. Uh, she prefers to go long on Tesla rather than, than, than uh, N- NVIDIA. What are your thoughts on her strategy? Well, I think she's calling it correctly in terms of the importance of of AI to a driving future. There's a lot of um, not full driving solutions, but, you know, driver assist and so on. And, you know, the chip count generally in cars just keeps going up as you get more and more electronic interfaces within the car. And also, you know, cars are becoming a lot like jet fighters in the in the 80s. You know, they're all moving to what they call the equivalent of fly-by-wire, in this case, drive-by-wire. All that means is you don't have mechanical linkages anymore. It's computers controlling everything. So I think she is absolutely right that, you know, you need to look at chips. Uh, in terms of a call for Tesla, well, everyone, I, I think, will make their own choices. Uh, for us, we, we actually like BYD in China. Uh, for the reasons I mentioned earlier, we think Chinese stocks are pretty depressed right now. BYD will probably pass Tesla this year as the largest manufacturer of electric vehicles and at higher growth rates operating in a larger market. The downside for uh, Chinese companies, of course, is the chip sanctions uh, emanating from the United States have really slowed down their ability to build highly advanced chips. But I'd point out that this is not really the case for most chips in cars. Uh, you know, they are actually able to be manufactured on the sorts of uh, processes that are not sanctioned. Uh, the big fly in that ointment is, uh, you know, your very high performance um, GPUs and the like for self-driving. Uh, but if we look at the Chinese market in terms of its scale and Huawei's ability to actually engineer their way around some of these problems using chiplets and other methods, uh, we actually think that China will eventually close that gap. So, uh, you know, on a pure valuation basis, I think BYD is my preference to Tesla. Uh, but I can understand why Kathy Wood favours Tesla. I mean, she's in the United States and it's probably going to be an easier pick there in terms of visibility on management and other a- aspects of the investment decision. All right, Kingsley, thanks as always for the chat. That was Kingsley Jones, Chief Investment Officer at Jevons Global, giving us his take on some of the trends that he sees moving markets in the days and weeks ahead. Ending the conversation there with a look at uh, the chip sector and also how the AI play uh, looks like there. But uh, speaking of AI, I think over the weekend, there was pretty (laughs) bombshell news coming out of the AI industry, specifically at OpenAI, which is really seen as the main front runner in this space at the moment. Uh, The CEO, uh, Sam Altman, was ousted by the board in a rather uh, surprise exit uh, on Friday. It was a company that uh, he formed himself. I didn't know you could be sacked from the company that you co-founded yourself. But uh, there we go. His board of directors actually claimed that uh, Altman had not been um, in in what they claim as consistently candid in communications with them. And because of that, they had lost confidence in his leadership. uh, resulting in his ouster. There was really no inf- more information mm, no. on why he was ousted that's consistent, not consistently candid in his communications. What kind of communications? You know, there's really no clue as to what the nature of that information is. And yeah, a lot of questions really on why he was thrown out. And even as we speak now, there are uh, machinations or are discussions to bring him back, uh, led by investors and employees of OpenAI. Okay, so there are two theories as to why he was kicked out. 
Theory number one was that he clashed with the board over wanting to turn uh, ChatGPT or OpenAI into something very profitable. Currently, actually, it's a non-profit kind of company. So there was some like, should we be going down this path? If we allow it to be driven so much by profit, then uh, how do we curtail or contain AI? Remember, there's a lot of debate as to, you know, AI is going to take over the universe. Terminator is here to stay. So that's one theory. The second theory was he was doing his own business and he was going around the world, particularly in the Middle East, raising billions of dollars to actually start his own chip business. Uh-huh. Okay. okay, so maybe the, the argument was that, hey, is this in conflict with your existing role at uh, OpenAI? Well, exactly what, what is going on, you know? So... Those are the two two theories that I see floating around. Don't forget that uh, Microsoft is OpenAI's biggest investor. They have about thirteen billion US dollars invested. They're having a forty nine percent stake in the company, but they are not represented on the board, which is a bit unusual, I suppose. Quite curious, and and they are apparently in talks to try and reinstate Sam Altman. Uh, so we're going to see more mm. news coming from this story for sure in the days ahead. Yeah, so in a nutshell, it's questions of AI safety, speed of development of the technology and the commercialization of the company that have been the sore points. All right, 7.19am, we're going to head into some messages. But when we come back, we'll continue to cover the top stories in the newspapers and portals this morning. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.